Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Caroline Kelly, manager, Workspace Futures, Steelcase, discusses brain power using neuroscience to design work experiences. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Workplace Innovation Pavilion. Uh, my name is Clayton Whitman. I'm an interior designer at Callis and RTKL in our New York office. Uh, we're one of this year's sponsors of the Workplace Innovation Pavilion. And I would like to introduce to you Caroline Kelly. She's a manager of Workspace uh, Futures at Steelcase. Caroline leads the market insights and sense marketing from team from Steelcase. She focuses on understanding work, worker, and workplace through sensing, data analytics, behavioral prototyping, and she has published and presented her work in a range of healthcare and environmental design journals and conferences. She has a master's degree in industrial design from Georgia Institute of Technology, where she was a research assistant at the Center for Assistive Technology and Environmental Access and the Human Factors Lab at the Georgia Tech Research Institute. I give you Caroline. Hello. Hi. Hi, I'll take that too. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you all so much for coming. Very happy to see you all. Um, and we'll just jump right into this. I will suggest, so if you have things in your hands that you're gonna wanna put them down in just a moment or two, because this is a very interactive session. We thought about experience. Is this, how's the mic sounding? Are we okay? Okay. Um, so, thank you for that introduction. Uh, are you okay now? <laughs> I'm looking for the all clear. Okay, great. So, um, why neuroscience? I feel actually like I got a really nice setup um, this morning from our great keynote who started talking about, you know, what happens in our brains when we're at work? And that's a question that, you know, we think about in our uh, organization uh, the Workspace Futures team is the research arm of Steelcase, and we think about understanding the future of work, worker, and workplace in uh, a number of ways. Better? Okay. I'm getting some signs from the background. Okay. Very good. Don't hesitate to um, call out if we need anything. And one of the ways that we do that is through empirical research. And um, when we think about what's happening at work today, what as he said this morning, we're knowledge workers. So what's really important is what's going on in our brains. We need to focus, we need to collaborate, we need to be creative. And so um, what I'm going to bring you through today is a little bit of uh, some research that we've recently completed. And um, I'm going to invite you to participate, to be our, a little lab rat as um, we go through um, kind of a, a version of a study that we've done. And of course, this is not going to uh, recapitulate that study. We're not expecting all the, um, the results necessarily to be the same, but we wanted to show you how uh, we came to know what we know through this work. So I'm gonna get started and I'm gonna ask you all, and if you have a piece of paper, feel free to use it. If not, I want you just to use your imaginations. And I want you to imagine your ideal workspace. What would it look like? So you can close your eyes if that helps. Think about what would be around you, what kind of furnishings, what kind of affordances, what's the setting? So just take a moment do that. You'll see some sketches uh, on the slide of what people have shared in the past. And just hold that image in your mind as we go forward. So we're going to take you into uh, this next session. And we're going to have a little mini experiment. 
So you're about to see a number, a series of numbers flashing on a screen. And every time you see a number, digits one through nine, you're gonna clap, except when you see the number three. And so if you have things in your hands, put them down so you can participate. Um, I'm gonna give you a little preview of what's gonna happen. It happens very quickly. So a number will be on the screen. You'll see a circle with a cross in it, and it's gonna flash, and it's gonna go fast. And so as we do this for real, I'm gonna ask you to focus both on speed and accuracy. Okay. Let's make sure it goes. There. Okay. All right, so that's just the example. Just so you guys know, like, you're gonna have to really, you know, pay attention. So um, I'm gonna go now, and this will go on for about a minute. Okay, ready, set. Okay, how'd that feel? Hard, yeah, it is hard. So why did I have you do that? That is something called the SART, the Sustained Attention Response Task. And as you know, sustained attention is critical in the workplace. Everyone, no matter what your job is, you need to focus and pay attention in various ways, various times throughout the day. Um, sustained attention, this is the, definition, the formal definition that we like to point to. And it calls on things like vigilance and selective and focused attention. You have to uh, be persistent in your response, but also you need to respond to changing conditions around you. And um, so I think everyone can relate to that, where you're at your office and um, you're thinking, okay, I really need to focus on what I'm doing, but what, what else is happening? So we thought about the complaint in um, the open plan. Everyone's, if you Google open plan office, the results that come up are things like death to the open plan, and it's the final nail in the coffin, and Google got it wrong, the open office you know, is terrible. So we said, well, how do we know what is and isn't working in the open plan? And how is this notion of focus um, experience? And so one way to do that, and, and something actually I find very interesting um, when you read about the open plan, even in the literature, not just in the popular media, is that there's very little detail about what that open plan office looks like. What kind of furniture is there? How is it arranged? Who's sitting next to whom? What are the interactions that you would expect to happen? And so it's become very kind of peanut butter in terms of a spread of, of critique. So we said, well, let's dig into this a little bit and let's think about what type of furniture settings that are possible and effective in the open plan so you can maintain things like density and flexibility, and all of those, uh, the, the benefits that we know it brings. Um, and you know, are there 
behaviors that are better supported in one setting or another. And so we had a hypothesis that if you are more shielded and um, more um, supported in a, in a sense that you don't have to spend as many resources looking, scanning around you. You know, we're used to, uh, we think about our ancestors on the plains. You had to make sure that there was nothing that was going to jump out from behind a bush and eat you, right? So we're, we're constantly being vigilant and constantly scanning. That has a lot of um, cognitive resources that we need to use to devote to that. And we said, when we don't have to do that, are we able to focus better? It seems pretty intuitive, right? We said, well, let's study it empirically. So we set up this environmental condition. And it's kind of a quasi-realistic office, open office setting. And we set uh, a bench setting and then a few of these products, which you might know as Brody. We think of them as like an individual work environment that provides the shielding and more of a relaxed um, kind of posture for people. And we asked them to complete a series of tasks. Now, we designed this study in a way that controls for things like, you know, do you start at the bench first and then come back a week later and sit at uh, the Brody? You know, there's a lot of experimental design that went into um, considering how we might collect this data. But what we found with about um, 70 participants, and this was a within subjects measure, so the same uh, results are being compared you know, for you at the bench and for you at Brody, um, that we found that people made fewer mistakes at that task. The you know, withholding when you shouldn't press for three on, a, on this task at the computer, it's pressing a space bar. So can you withhold and not press the space bar when you see the three, or do you just get into this automatic response mode where you're just kind of driving and you're not really thinking about what you're doing? And so we found that people did, in fact, make more mistakes at the bench. And we also found that their response time at the bench was, uh, was slower. And I mean, I'm sorry, faster. But, and faster is not better. When you start going fast, that means you're really not paying attention. And when you make mistakes, actually, you tend to slow down. So we saw a lot of variability in their responses. And we saw that they just kind of started cranking. I, let me ask the sound guy. I'm hearing a lot of feedback up here. Is there something that kind of an echoing? Is that OK? It's, it's me? OK. <laughs> so. Um, so that actually proved out our hypothesis. We said, well, OK, that seems to make sense. Well, having uh, more privacy might help you focus better. Well, what might be behind that? And there's a notion called social inhibition. And maybe you've experienced this when you're driving in the car with somebody, maybe a colleague, someone you don't know well, and all of a sudden you become very self-conscious about your driving and actually maybe become a worse driver than you normally really are. Well, we're, when we're being observed, we're being scrutinized, we tend to have to start to to use more of those cognitive resources to understand how perhaps we're being perceived, if there's an evaluative component to that. And, uh, you know, it starts to distract us. So here, you know, we've got a couple of colleagues. You know, Mark's chilled out. He's back in his bench. He's relaxed. Is that okay in his workplace to, to work like that? Should he be spending more energy thinking about how he's presenting himself? I know, it's, it's funny. Um, so Irving Goffman is a sociologist, and he talks about the presentation of self. And this idea that, you know, we're on stage, we're all playing a role. And when you are on stage constantly at work, you're expending a lot of resources to think about, how do I look? Am I, you know, is my boss going to walk by? And do I look like I'm uh, doing the things I need to do? And when people have an ability to step, you know, off stage and go and um, kind of... Uh, recede, they can then transfer those 
cognitive resources to the work that requires more sustained attention and more focus. So I'm wondering, if we go back to your ideal workplace in your mind, how many of you had you know, a space where you could be sheltered or be shielded? Just raise your hand, yeah? What were some of the ways that you thought about that? Like, what did it look like? Can anyone shout out? Plants, great, yeah. You know, we've done this before, people say hey, private office. <laughs> So that's a strategy. It's not always a viable strategy. Anything else? So level of control, yeah. And choice and control. You know, we know that actually people, when they have more choice and control in the way they work, that tends to correlate with higher engagement. And having those choices say, I need to focus, I need to go somewhere um, to do that is, is critical. Do a time check here. So, um, you know, we've talked about uh, monitoring ourselves and others. We've talked about you know, ways we might design for sustained attention. So I'm not trying to tell you design it this way, just suggest to you as you think about op options for uh, your workplace to provide opportunities for individuals to decide what level of shielding they need, whether or not it's going someplace else to work or to bring um, other types of furnishings and affordances <laughs> to, um, you know, for them to, to have more uh, choice about. So I'm going to move you, we actually talked about this, into the, next, um, into the next section. So we, in this same experimental setup, had a number of tasks. And one of the things that we wanted to talk about um, was how people are able to be creative. So this task, which we're going to go through, and you're going to just do this in your mind. If you have a pen or paper, you can certainly write things down. We're going to show you some triplets. And there are three words. There's a fourth word that will make sense with all three. So I'm going to show you an example. So who can solve this? Shout it out. Gold, yes. Gold fish, gold mine, gold rush. Um, in the um, challenges that I'm about to show you, the word could go before or after. Just a little hint. And I'm going to give you, we have five, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to try to solve as many in your mind. Um, so don't shout anything out. Okay, so go ahead. The read them, sure. So the first cover, arm, and wear. The next is date, alley, and fold. Flower, friend, scout. Peace, mind, dating, show, life, row. Enough time? Okay. All right, we're going to keep going. So what is that task? Uh, that is a test. That measures creativity. And as we heard this morning, you know, there's lots of ways to think about creativity, but really this notion of bringing together elements that are uh, novel in the way that they're being assembled. And sometimes that is to you know, meet a specified requirement. Um, some way it needs to be useful. So I love the examples that he gave this morning about saying, oh, we need to make more money. No, it's like we need to solve like, the major problems that we're seeing in this organization. Um, and there's you know, many, many ways to approach it. 
And this task um, is called the remote associates test. And it is one of other many that one could use to measure creative problem solving. So what we found here, it's, this is good news for the bench. People actually did better at the bench in solving this. They had more correct responses. And um, you know, again, it's within subject, so people had different sets of problems to solve each time, and, and we found almost a 10-point spread between what they did in um, the Brody and at the bench. So why might this be? I love, actually, this is, played right into my hands today, talking about seeing things from new perspectives. So driving home a different way, as he suggested, what we're thinking about in the workplace is you know, provide people broad vistas and high ceilings, new perspectives to take. So if you're trying to, let's say, crank out you know, a certain amount of work, going to your, that same habitual desk, getting that same cup of coffee and doing um, work that you know needs to be kind of executed on is fine, that habit is good. But when you need to do something novel, when you need to think creatively and bring perhaps divergent or disparate elements together, having views and having um, actually even different postures can help uh, improve that process. So I'm wondering how many of you imagined wide open spaces that allowed for movement and views? Oh, that's great. Can anyone tell me a little bit about what they thought about in their workspace? Glass, natural light, mm -hmm. views, a view, yeah. And you know, views to nature, also, nature's always changing, right? So that view that you have in the spring is not gonna be the same view that you have in the fall in most cases. And so being able to respond to that and have um, inspiration to solve problems is, is really what we're suggesting here. So, uh, you know, again, we don't need to provide a recommendation. But the idea here is to stimulate uh, the capacity to generate more ideas. So I'm wondering if we can, I know this is a little bit challenging in this environment, but to turn this around and ask, how are you all addressing these needs in your workplace? How are you thinking about supporting people's need to be shielded for, you know, to, to mitigate the effects of that social inhibition to support creative cognition? Yes, thank you. While we still have open plan and we're experimenting with benching and stuff, but we're trying to increase our ratio, ratio of focus workspaces. And that can be anything from a phone booth to a huddle room to a focus room, but just increasing that ratio of a seat to a focus type space. Yeah. Anybody else? Does any of what I've said today surprise you? Oh, someone has something to say. more remote working. So extending that notion of choice and control to really take you out. Like you said this morning, uh, no one said I do my most creative best thinking you know, at my desk, right? It's on a walk, it's in the shower, it's as you're drifting off to bed. Yes, five, okay, great. With that, I thank you. All right, bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into What's Next. Have an idea or point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org slash podcast.